are joining us today online. We're so glad that you have decided to join us here at Highland Hills as we continue going through the book of Jonah. And if you're able to be with us live this morning, I'm glad to see you as well. We have been looking at how God through his word has left us this account of a reluctant prophet who learned to follow the Lord. And we conclude his journey today in Jonah chapter 4. So if you would please take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Jonah. Jonah chapter 4, and we have seen this prophet of God run from the clear command of the Lord and attempt to avoid that which God had ordained for him to do. But we saw his heart change as he was trapped in a storm and this giant fish swallowed Jonah. And it was in the belly of this great fish that he called out to the Lord and worshipped him with thanksgiving. And in chapter 3 last week, we saw that Jonah obeyed the Lord and preached to Nineveh. And that brings us to chapter 4. Jonah chapter 4, beginning in verse 1, I believe it is the prophet Jonah who left us this account. Jonah 4, beginning in verse 1. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what should become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow which came into being and in a night and perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle? Would you pray with me as we go to the word of God this morning? Father God, we thank you for the mercy that you displayed to the city of Nineveh. And we thank you for the multiple chances that you offer to Jonah. God, may this rescue story point to the ultimate rescue story, that you show this entire world mercy through what you have done through your son, Jesus Christ. And God, I pray that 
as we think of how Nineveh was spared, that we would be grateful that you offer to spare us from your wrath as well. You send Jesus to be our substitute, to be our Savior. And you send us, like Jonah, to a world that needs to hear of your forgiveness. And I pray that we are obedient to that. That when we see how you moved in the life of Jonah and in the life of Nineveh, you want to move in our lives as well. So be with us as we turn to your holy word, God. Because we know that ultimately this comes from you by the power of your Holy Spirit. And it is in the name of Jesus Christ that we pray. Amen. As I have stated often as we have ventured through the book of Jonah, throughout the scripture we see a man that we must refuse to be like. We see someone in the book of Jonah that we must refuse to be like. But also, in the book of Jonah, we see someone that we must imitate. And our predicament this morning is that that is the same person. In so many ways, we must not be like Jonah. But in so many ways, we must be like Jonah. God is after two things here in the book of Jonah. And I think he's after the same things in our lives. In Luke 6.46, we read this. In the book of Luke 6.46, Jesus said these words. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? I will show you what he is like who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice. He is like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundation on rock. When a flood came, the torrent struck that house but could not shake it because it was well built. But the one who hears my words and does not put them into practice is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. The moment the torrent struck that house, it collapsed, and its destruction was complete. In Luke 6, we see that Jesus is after our action. Jesus is after our practice in life. Jesus has designs for how he wants you to live and what he wants you to do, and they are not suggestions. They are not recommendations. They are commands. And the mark that you truly, authentically know Jesus as Lord will be seen in the fruit of your action, in the fruit of your practice. God is after your obedience. But that is not the only thing that God is pursuing in the life of Jonah, and that is not the only thing that God is pursuing in your life. We also see this in the book of Matthew. In Matthew 22, beginning in verse 36, we see this conversation with Jesus Christ. In Matthew 22, verse 36, it says, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. Now we see the bigger picture. God is not just after our actions and obedience. God is striving for your heart. God is longing for your genuine allegiance. God is striving to win your committed love. And these two things in Scripture are found in the book of Jonah, that God is after our actions 
and God is after our heart. And sometimes Jonah only gives action. And sometimes Jonah is lacking in heart when God was after both. Now, I want to state something. I want to state what I'm not saying. What I'm not saying is that our, our love and our actions can just be separated so that actions are more important than love. What I'm saying is God is after the total package. God is longing for you to love him so much that obedience flows out of your life. Not as a religious checklist, not as something to do, but you're so in love with the Lord that obedience is a pleasure to your heart. But what happens when our hearts fail us? What happens when, if we were honest, we know that our heart is not in a task that God has laid before us? We would be foolish to presume there was an easy fix for a situation like that. Sometimes a key ingredient for our hearts to get in sync with where our hearts need to be is time. And the one who controls the ingredients, the strength, the power to change our hearts is God Almighty. But what do we do if we're honest enough to admit sometimes our hearts are not in sync with what God has called us to do? Well, I think if you should find yourself in that situation, you learn this application from the book of Jonah. It's our first application from the text today, and it is this. When all you can give is action, give it. Look with me again in verse 1. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. What is he angry about? Well, he had just gone through in chapter 3, he had just gone through Nineveh, and he had preached the judgment of God. And on hearing his preaching, the city of Nineveh repented. They turned, and they were spared the wrath of God. And do you know why Jonah is angry? Because he wanted Nineveh judged. And now here they are in the mercy of God and pleasure of God. One thing about the book of Jonah is this is a very real, transparent look at the prophet Jonah. This book pulls no punches. You get to see his heart. You get to see exactly what he is like. It doesn't try to build up this superhero that just followed God. We see a fallen, sinful man in the book of Jonah and a great God who powerfully loved him. But from the start, we see that one of the flaws of Jonah is he is full of venomous hate. A man who, though he knows God, has allowed his heart to become callous, has allowed his heart to become hard. A man who has reached a point in his life where he feels like he is a better judge than God himself. And I think God is doing a couple things in the book of Jonah. First, he is seeking to save Nineveh from her sins. And second, he is seeking to call Jonah to repent of his hate and his bigotry and his arrogance. So in a sense, Jonah is exactly what Nineveh needs. But in another sense, Nineveh is exactly what Jonah needs to see how warped his heart had become. 
Nineveh needs Jonah, but whether he realized it or not, Jonah needs Nineveh. Now, there is a ray of hope in chapter 2. As we said, though Jonah's heart was hard in chapter 1, in chapter 2, humbled in the belly of the great fish, he calls out to God. And he's ready to serve the Lord, and he's thankful toward God, even in that moment. After this incident, something great happens in chapter 3. Finally, Jonah does it. He does what he should have done from the beginning, and he preaches to Nineveh. He is obedient, finally on track. However, now we're given insight into Jonah's situation. Chapter 4 allows us to see something that we would not have seen if all we had was chapter 3. And it is this. Every second, every hour, every moment, every ounce of energy spent that Jonah gave when he was preaching in Nineveh, his heart was far from his task. Verse 1 again in chapter 4, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. Jonah has a spiritual heart that needs a lot of work, and Jonah is very honest that though he obeyed God's word, he thinks God was wrong. He thinks Nineveh does not deserve mercy, and he wanted and craved the death and destruction of this city. He did what God asked, but his heart was not in sync with the Lord. Now, before we are too hard on Jonah, I have a question for you. Have you ever found yourself in a predicament like that? Have you ever reached a point in your life where you knew what God was requiring of you, but your heart was not passionate for the task at hand? Have you ever woke up on a Sunday and the kids are screaming and you all are arguing and screaming and fighting and you get in the van and then you come to church and you walk in with the biggest smile? And nobody knows that inside your heart is a wreck. Have you ever been there before? As Christians, we're going to face circumstances in which we have tasks to complete for God. And the question is, what do we do when our hearts are distant from the task, when our hearts disagree with the task? Because remember, God is after your actions, but he's also after your heart. So what do we do in those moments? Because I would say that's where Jonah is. And I would say like Jonah, when all you can give is action, friends, still give the action. Give the practice. Follow the Lord. Now listen, I'm not saying put up a front. I'm not saying be fake. But what I'm saying is the enemy, Satan and his kingdom, will try to use your heart condition to stop you from following God. So your heart may be down, depressed, angry, sad, negative, and Satan will whisper In the darkness, your heart's not right in the the right place. You can't go to church. You can't go lead Sunday school. You can't go join that Bible study. You can't go to that worship service because your heart's not in the right place. So just give up because the kingdom of darkness wants to stop us from serving the Lord. Jonah's heart was not in the right place, but still he obeyed. Jonah fully confesses that as he preached to Nineveh, God's heart was for their repentance and his heart was far far from that. But he still preached. 
And because he preached, 120,000 people were spared the wrath of God. You see, I think our culture has a massive misunderstanding. Our culture, through so many ways, communicates, just follow your heart. Let your heart guide you. But friends, I think what the Bible would tell us is sometimes when our heart's not on board, we need to talk to our heart, and we need to fulfill our tasks, and we need to move forward anyway and let our heart catch up, not the other way around. You know, in America, there are not too many people, I think that we would know personally, that are bowing down to carved images and idols in that sense. But in another sense, man, do we have idols in the American culture. Idols of status. Idols of money, power, prestige, and the like. And perhaps that is in no place better seen, the conglomerate of all of that in celebrity worship in our American culture. We allow celebrities to dictate our styles, our preferences, our political leanings. We take cues from the celebrity culture. And it's comical how we do this in America. And nothing gains attention more in our culture than celebrity couples. The culture loves celebrity couples, so much so that they refer to them in units. So a few years ago, Brad Pitt and Angelina Jolie were called Bradgelina. And Ben Affleck and Jennifer Lopez were called Benifer. And Tom Cruise and Katie Holmes were called Tomcat. This is ludicrous, bizarre stuff. The infatuation that we have with celebrity couples. But you know what's sad? I heard a celebrity couple on television talking about their marriage. And this is what that celebrity couple said. They said, marriage is good as long as you're growing together. But when that stops, it's time to move on. And that's the cues the celebrity culture gives us. Follow your heart. The second you're not interested anymore, give up on that relationship. The moment your heart's not in it, just don't do that goal that you had planned. Just follow your heart. That's what the culture at large says to us. And I think sometimes we adopt that. And we think, if my heart's not in it, then I'm just going to change. I'm just going to do something else. But friends, the Bible doesn't say follow your heart. The Bible says you should better beware of your heart. Look with me in Jeremiah 17, verse 7. In Jeremiah 17, verse 7, we see how we should view the heart. In Jeremiah 17, verse 7, it says this, But blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. He will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. That's, that's the heart that's trusting in God. But look at this, verse 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and examine the mind to reward a man according to his conduct, according to what his deeds deserve. The heart is deceitful and we can't understand it god is in the business of changing our hearts to where they need to be 
often our hearts mislead us. Our culture views our heart as a wild animal with instinct. And you should just always go wherever the instinct leads. And the Bible warns, you should not trust your heart. You should check it with the word of God. And you should check it with the spirit of God. The Bible says our hearts can lead us away. Jonah's heart, how he really felt, was he wanted Nineveh judged. And he kept trying to follow that instinct over and over again. And he missed the heart of God that wanted to see Nineveh spared. Jonah's heart was distant from desiring compassion from Nineveh. And that was a sin. But adding to that sin would have been, if because of his heart condition, he refused to preach to them. All he could give was action. And his heart was not where it needed to be, but he fulfilled his task and the salvation of God was found in the city of Nineveh. Now, I want to stress once again what I'm not saying. I'm not saying our emotions are unimportant, so just don't worry about it. That's not my message. What I'm saying is, quite often the Bible tells us to obey God and expect our heart to catch up, not follow our heart and expect our actions to catch up. Because I do not believe the heart is unimportant, far from it. Once again, I believe God is after the total package. But friends, there will be times in life when God calls you to sacrificially invest in a church, to sacrificially invest by proclaiming his word, even if it means risking a friendship, by sacrificially calling us to witness to those who need his love, and our hearts may not be in it, and it can never be an excuse not to do it. But we should be mindful of our hearts, because we're not here just to fulfill a list for God. We have been created through Christ to love God. And that is why I feel we must make this application as well. In Jonah chapter 4, verses 4 through 10, we see this application. When God asks a question in Scripture about the heart, answer it. It's there for you to ponder. It's there for you to consider. Look with me in Jonah 4, verse 4 again. And the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? Do you do well to be angry? A question asked to Jonah, but given to us in the scripture of God, because we too must answer that question in moments of life. Do you do well to be angry? God is still after Jonah's heart. God got Jonah to obey an action, but Jonah still has not learned to love Nineveh. And God says, do you do well to be angry? In other words, Jonah, do you think you have a right to be angry with the ones that God has chosen to forgive? And Jonah's immature temper tantrum is, yes. Yes, I have every right to be angry. I'm rightfully angry, God. You're wrong. He's just completely honest with how he views it. But that was the wrong answer. Remember, God is after Jonah's heart, so he decides to keep the lesson going. And Jonah's sitting in the desert, and he's camped out. He could have just gone home, but he doesn't want to go home. Why? Because he's hoping as he sits there, okay, maybe God will still wipe them out. Maybe Nineveh will still be judged. And that is what in his sick mind he is craving. 
And he apparently builds some pathetic shelter, and he can't protect himself from the sun. And so God causes a miracle to happen. And this plant grows over Jonah and gives him shade. And in his comfort, he is happy. And then God sends the worm. And then God sends the scorching heat. And circumstances change, so Jonah is angry. Look with me in verse 9. But God said to Jonah, Do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, Yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. Jonah feels, and he's very stubborn, that his anger is justified. Then God says something to help Jonah understand his error. Verse 10. And the Lord said, You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. I think God is showing Jonah that Jonah only values that which benefits Jonah. So Jonah will care about you if you benefit him. Jonah will love you if you benefit him. But if you bring no benefit to Jonah, then he will deny you love. God is telling Jonah his heart is broken because Jonah only loves that which benefits himself. Jonah loves his people, Israel. They benefit him. But when it comes to the people of Assyria, when it comes to the people who live in the capital in Nineveh, in a sense, Jonah has a sinfully grotesque, racist attitude toward the people of Nineveh. Racism is a monstrosity of sin, infecting and warping the heart and damaging civilizations throughout the ages and its demonic influence. Racism is a grotesque sin, and that is kind of like what Jonah is experiencing when he wants an entire people to be judged, though he has found the mercy of God in his own life. And the point is, we can develop the same attitude without even realizing it. We may think there are people who deserve our ministry. We may think there are people who deserve our love. And subconsciously, or maybe even just bluntly, we may feel there are some who do not. When God is declaring that his love is for every image bearer he has created on this planet. In 2012, there was unfortunately a school shooting. And in the agony of that school shooting in Ohio, some of the students initially survived, were put on life support. And then tragically we learned that those students had passed away. Demetrius Helwin was one of those students. And he lost his life. And his mother, Phyllis, was asked by a reporter, if you could say something to the gunman, what would you say? And she said, I would say, I forgive you. She said, I taught Demetrius not to live in the past, to live in today, and forgiveness is divine. You have to forgive everything. God's grace is new each and every day. How could Phyllis... Forgive the one who took her child. Is it not because of her relationship with God? Does the gunman deserve her forgiveness? No. Did Nineveh 
deserve the forgiveness of God? No. Did Jonah deserve the forgiveness of God? No. And that's the point. None of us deserve the forgiveness of God. And still through his good pleasure, it is there for us anyway. We are not made merely to love those who love us back. We are made to love all people. Jonah was made to love the people of Israel. But he was also made to love the people of Nineveh as well. And God was after his heart to do that. Jesus says it like this in Matthew 5. In Matthew 5, verse 43, Jesus says this. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your brothers, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. We need to ask ourselves this question often in life. Do you do well to be angry? When you see a homeless man on the street with a we'll work for food sign. Do you do well to snicker and mumble, just get a job? Do you justify not helping by saying, well, he just used the money on drugs? Do you do well to be angry? Do you find yourself nice and considerate to those you deem responsible, but short-tempered and angry with those that you think don't deserve it? Are those people your Nineveh? Or maybe there's a group you just can't stand. Maybe you see somebody with a different political view than you in an election year. And it disgusts you, if you were honest. And you feel inside they're not worthy of love. Like Jonah felt Nineveh was not worthy of his love. You feel hate and you label them as foolish compared to your sophisticated political genius. You see them as morons and you as the possessor of political wisdom. And your heart becomes hard to someone who disagrees with you on how the nation should be ran. Are they your Nineveh? Friend, do you see that God wants us to realize that there are people we hold grudges against that have hurt us? And he wants us to forgive them, even if they don't forgive us? Do you know why? Because he's after your action. But God is also after your heart. If a family can forgive a murderer that took their loved one, how can we hold a grudge against anybody that has wronged us? If God himself looks at us, we who sin was, was found on Christ on the cross, and if it was our sin that took him to the cross and killed him, and still God looks at us, we who sin, Christ had to bear and says, I forgive you. Who on earth could we not forgive? How could we ever have the audacity to hold a grudge and anger when the God of the universe has forgiven us for our betrayal? You know, actions can often bring our hearts where they need to be. Oftentimes, you got to get the action in front and then your heart catches up. 
So, so I have a challenge for you. And the next month, I have a challenge for you. If you feel malice towards someone, I want you to deliberately forgive them, even if your heart's not in it. If your coworker mistreats you, I want you to just be nice to them for a day. If you've been denying forgiveness to someone, let go and forgive. Do the action and pray to the Lord and see if your heart catches up to where it needs to be. Because often our actions will be signs guiding our hearts where they need to be, not the other way around. Nobody can claim the name Christian and feel they have any right to hang on to hate, to bigotry, to anger, to malice. No more than Jonah had a right to hang on to his anger. But I think to get to where we need to be, we need to make this last application. When God gives you opportunities to learn compassion, don't waste them. Look with me again in verse 11. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle? Remember how Jonah cared about that plant? Keep that in mind. Because I think it it helps the ending here make sense. Because I want to be honest with you. When we reach the end of the book of Jonah, I don't think I'm the only one who thinks, this is strange. This is a weird ending to this book. Jonah, there are a lot of people in this city, and you need to learn compassion. Bam, the end. And we have no idea what Jonah does next. It gets even weirder than that. And Jonah, don't forget, there are a lot of cows in this city too. Bam, the end. What is going on here? I think what God is saying to Jonah is, well, you won't open up your heart for people, so you apparently care about plants. What about animals? I know you don't love the people of Nineveh, but there's at least animals. Can that change your heart? Come on, Jonah. You've got to love these people. I think that's what the Lord is saying here. And here's what I think is happening here in Jonah. The book never lists the author, but I think Jonah wrote this book or at least contributed to it in some way. And the reason why I think that is we see some things in the heart of Jonah here. We see his prayers in the belly of the great fish. We see his frustration here in chapter 4. And I think these details are there because Jonah is contributing to this work under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God. So I think Jonah left us this. And I think he's saying... Look at how sinful I was. Don't be like that. I think he could have documented, so I changed my mind and I repented. But I don't think he wants to. I think he wants us to be held in suspense and see what happens when your heart hangs on to anger. When God is trying to get through and show you your need to change and how holding on to hate could mess up your life. And I think by refusing to show the repentance of Jonah and showing that in suspense, he's warning us, don't be like that. Don't hate people. Don't hold grudges. Don't run from God when he calls you to do something. Don't think you're a better judge than God. Don't forget how God showed you mercy or you will not show mercy to others. So Jonah does not close close saying he repented. Because I think Jonah wants us to have a good look at what happens 
when we don't let God change our heart from hate to compassion. When we hang on to bitterness, when God is offering us joy. But I do think he repented. And I think this book is his confession of how he got off track. Like I said before, this is so that if we learn this from Jonah, we don't have to learn it from our own lives. If we see how bigotry and racism blinded Jonah, if we see how Jonah ran from God and that got him off track in his life, if we see how Jonah didn't love when God was trying to love, then we can learn it from his life so we don't have to learn it from our life that those are things we should not do. But we can also learn from Jonah that God deserves our action even if our heart is momentarily not in it. And in that sense, we must be like him. The question is, did we learn from Jonah's experience that God deserves obedience and action and God has the power to change our hearts to long for his glory? Did we learn that? That for the sake of the gospel of Jesus, we can pursue obedience and action. And we can look to the Lord to change our hearts. That Christ can be lifted up in our lives. I pray we did. Would you pray with me? Father God, I thank you once again that you've left us this historical account of how you moved in the prophet Jonah's life. God, I thank you that when we turn to your word, we see a very real person who was, yes, called to be your prophet, but struggled with his heart and struggled with following you. And God, it is true of us as well. We are Jonah. But God, I pray when we reach those moments in our lives where our hearts are drifting, God, I do pray you would intervene and change our hearts, that we would be captivated with our love for you but that we would see you've called us to witness to our, our neighbors, our coworkers, our fellow students. You've called us to gather and to, to serve you. You've called us to be in your word. And when our hearts are fleeting, may our obedience still be there. And would you catch our hearts up to where they need to be, that our obedience can be nothing but an extension of our great love and gratitude that we have for you. I thank you, God, that once again you spared Nineveh. And that if we, if we would come to Jesus, if we would accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior, you offer to spare us too, but, but to also bring us into your family, and then for us to be the ones that go out and preach to this world your salvation. And I pray that we would be faithful to that, for you are worthy of it. Be with us now as we close worshiping you. And Jesus, it is in your name that we pray. Let us stand. And if you need prayer or you need anything today, if you need to come make a decision, you come as we sing the praises of our Lord.